and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Welcome back, everyone, to the Angel Investors Access Show with your host, Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. I'm excited today because I have with me one of Australia's most high-profile and successful founders, entrepreneurs, angel investor, and currently at the helm of several businesses. Joining me from the rocks in Sydney, it's Tom Waterhouse. How are you? Hi, Brandon. How are you? I'm great, mate. And uh, you look like you're in some nice surrounds there. What's it like to be able to go to work and interact with the general public in Sydney? Look, um, yeah, I feel really lucky. Obviously, I know how hard it is for, for those in Victoria. The city's still not ultra busy here, but to be able to get out of the house and, and be with the team here at work is, uh, yeah, definitely feel, feel blessed. And, and obviously, I know you guys are going through a pretty tough period, you know, so... Yeah, excellent. Well, one thing we like to do at the head of the show is really paint a picture for our listener who's driving or on the treadmill. Um, and we'd love to get an insight from our special guest and find out what a typical day in life looks like for Tom Waterhouse. Yeah, look, um, so I've got uh, three kids, three kids, seven, four and two. And um, wow. so they're normally our alarm clock. And, and then I, uh, I try and go for a, a quick... Um, run and and swim like maybe home it's not very long maybe five or ten minutes like just yeah. just to get active and and then um i have a conference call with one of the startup business we're looking at uh at 7 25 uh, in the morning and then yep. i take my daughter to school and um and then uh and yeah and then i'm in the office after that some somewhere between 8 30 and 9 and and then just busy trying to um whatever the the big issue is at the at the moment just trying to get through that and yeah and then try and get home and make sure i have dinner with the kids excellent sounds like a pretty balanced day what i'm keen to learn from you is what's been one key hack or uh efficiency that you've implemented to give yourself sort of an additional five to ten percent efficiency in your day recently recently i um i sort of just try and focus what are the key things that i want to get through in a day and over a week um, and always have, this is where I want the business to be or the businesses to be on a three, five year longer time frame. Um, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't have a, like a set structure. Some of my, my friends have got really structured. These are the tasks. I'm going to tick them all off. I just have that sort of, this is broadly what I want to be doing and where I want to be going to. And them just prioritizing what's the most urgent, you know, it's, um, uh, it's not really that, uh, structured or, or, or formulated. I just basically, I, I always think of my making the best use of my time that constantly goes through my head, but I'm not really, um, I don't have like a template, uh, of, of what I'm doing. Just, yeah. just sort of try and keep as, make sure I'm not wasting time and utilizing, uh, the time that I've got it. And I think that is really, um, one of the things with kids because you want to make sure you've got that free time and 
time that you're fully with them. And so when you're not with them, you want to basically make the every moment count. So um, there you go. Yeah. Maybe that's one productivity hack. At least I can attest for that. Having children really does make you make the most of your time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. All right. So you're obviously at the helm of Waterhouse VC, which specialises in particular verticals. And given your experience, you'd be receiving overtures on a regular basis from founders and startups looking for investment. Um, how do you efficiently sort of sift through and get to a yes or no as quickly as possible on the opportunity that comes to you each day? So we um, focus just on gambling, the area that we know, um, and stick to that sector. And we sort of have two broad themes we want to be involved in either businesses um, that are in regulated markets that can win the scale war or the scale game so we we think that in all the regulated betting or gambling markets taxes will increase over time mm-hmm. and that you need to have um, a lot of money to be able to compete from a marketing standpoint and also from a regulatory standpoint of um, coping with that increasing cost of sales so we like businesses that can demonstrate why they will be the ultimate winner in five or 10 years time. And the big growth companies, we try and focus on, on the area that isn't exposed as much or directly exposed to the tax increases. So we focus on businesses that provide services to the customer facing businesses. So whether they supply odds, technology, marketing tools, uh, games, um, Anything that is sort of connected in that way to the customer face, we, we like those businesses because they're a little bit harder for people outside of the industry to understand or analyse. Mm-hmm. And we think that we've got a, um, uh, yeah, a unique advantage of being able to analyse and understand exactly what they're doing and why they would be a benefit um, to the bookmaker. So we, we focus on, on, on those and, and really just try and take part in a business that we go, well, look, we want to be owners of that for the long term. You know, it's um, we don't try and trade in or out or like it's it's more just we like this. We think it's a long term winner in the space. It's got something unique about it. And I guess we also try and see is there a way that we can benefit the company, whether it's through um, brand expertise, database. Um, uh, skill sets, uh, form skills, um, uh, anything that we can do to, to help that company um, is also an area that we look at. Excellent. Brilliant. I love your mention of scale, mate. It's excellent. Um, and that's a great insight for first-time angels listening around how they can develop their own set of rules and space that they like to focus in and, and do what they know best. Um, I'd love to hear from you if you can be brave enough to share with us maybe a key mistake or challenge that you faced along the journey which has actually become a really good blessing and lesson yeah i think um there's quite a um, few times with tomwaterhouse.com and also winning running the william hill um business um, for them here in australia is that i got i was good at analyzing what we need to be doing um and how to grow the business or what could be a growth thing for the business but i I failed to anticipate the change in market. So in TomWaterhouse.com, uh, I think we broadly got right about marketing as an individual. Like the media landscape has changed where an individual has big advantages, whether it's in social media or like to 
to promote their brand. So we got a lot of acquisition. We were right in terms of the right media properties. We really focused on live sport. Um, but an area that I got wrong is I just didn't anticipate the significant increase in competition and the scale needed both from a marketing standpoint, but also a technology investment standpoint. So I, I failed to, uh, to, to really um, grasp how big that competition, outside competition was coming in. And running William Hill, we grow a, grew a part of the business, the in-play betting with our click-to-call product. We grew it from a standing start to a quarter of a billion dollars in turnover in a year. But I, I failed to, um, to be able to see that the regulatory environment would change so quickly and that we would have such pushback on that space. I thought that um, it's not that you couldn't anticipate it. I just thought that it would have longer runway than it did. And, uh, and I guess that's when you're running your own, own business or investing in businesses, it's not just what you can do as a business to grow it. It's, there's plenty of external factors and, and competitors response, which needs to be taken into account rather than are these people good operators? Are they going to execute on what they say they're going to do? Uh, what are the, if they actually do what they're going to do, what is the response from whether it's industry or regulatory or what's the response to that success? Yeah, that's great, mate. Thank you for sharing. Um, that's, that's incredible to hear. So talk to me about the fun, the magic, the allure that exists for getting into something at ground zero, you know, being the angel investor in the scenario and the reward and experience that can be had as a result of seeding someone else's journey? Look, um, it's such a, um, being a startup business is really hard, isn't it? It's, um, so many of them fail. It's such an exciting period. I, I love the startup phase because you basically just do whatever it takes to, to get your first customer, the first bit of revenue to, um, so I love that journey, but I'm very wary from an investment point of view in, in running the fund is that you can take a lot of bets and not have a winner uh, mm-hmm. out of that space. So we're really focused on businesses that aren't necessarily large, but have definitely got some tech built, have got a team built, have got some revenue coming in the door. Um, and they might be early stage in terms of that revenue, but it's it's probably too early for us. It's not to say we wouldn't, but it's probably too early for us when it's just straight from the ground up. We'll back these um, uh, two founders to get things started. Now, that doesn't mean outside the fund from a, a family standpoint or a personal standpoint, we don't go into those, those areas, but that's more, it's not our core. It's more just to keep the brain ticking over and, we enjoy looking at different businesses and how they're operating and meeting founders and stuff like that. But uh, the fund to, to date hasn't focused on, um, on really, really early startup. Um, but, but no, but no one would say no to being uh, one of the first into Canva or Afterpay. Or 100% no. <laughs> and, and, and there's such a, um, an upside when you can do that. Um, it's, and it's not to say we wouldn't, it's, it's just we keep very narrow sort of what we're looking for because, well, as you know, we get bombarded with so many, like I've already been on a few calls today of what about the investing in our business here or doing this or 
So we try and keep it quite narrow, exactly what we're looking for and where we think we've got a, um, a unique skill. And, um, and, and that's what we focus on. But it's, yeah, there's huge upside. If you can pick the right founders in an area that's a growing space, um, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's totally. Powerful, isn't it? um, so my next question is around, I'd like for you to cast your mind back to maybe share with us when you wrote your first check and sort of what you know, really compelled you to want to get into a particular investment or an individual. Um, yep. And also um, what it was maybe about the opportunity, the deck or the founder, that was that one key thing that stood out. And we asked this because for an aspiring angel listening, they're really going to be looking to hear from someone like you around what are some key tells that really give you the confidence. So I think a good one to discuss is probably um, the fund's first investment was in a company called Betmakers, which is uh, actually listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. And um, it had, the thing that we liked about it is that it had been a business that was an online um, betting business and the increase in tax and regulation forced it into a position where it wasn't as viable as, as it was. And it was um, trading uh, at... 42 cents, I think, when it was an on, uh, on online bookmaker. It pivoted away from that and the market really hit it. It went down to, I think, six cents or something. And, um, and, but the, the founders and, and the CEO was a, um, a very, he had the battle scars of being in the industry for a long time, understood the space, but he also um, had a really amazing vision and, and uh, understanding of where the industry was going, I thought. And he bought two businesses, he rolled two businesses that were B2B providers, um, an odds comparison business and a data feeder, a horse racing data feed business into the business. And yes. those two businesses together uh, were, f- the, the, the sum of two was, was far greater than some of both those was more than just one plus one. And understood those businesses because I'd worked with them uh, in William Hill and, and knew that they were actually businesses that bookmakers needed. And, and I thought, well, his vision of where he wanted to take that and expand it, I thought, well, that's, he's got something of substance. I think the market's not understanding what these businesses could be. Mm-hmm. And I believed in his vision and, and also that the team were, were good. And also they, uh, they had the battle scars of, of having to pivot and do stuff. And I, and I actually thought they were on the, the right path. And so we made an investment in, in that business. It's, it wasn't a brand new startup, but it felt like a startup in a sense in that the small team, very dedicated, highly skilled people and pivoting into a brand new business um, or area of business, pivoting away from what was their core to a new core business. And, um, and uh, yeah, and that's what we liked about them. Excellent, mate. I love it. So we've got a two-part question coming up, and this is one our audience really likes the second part of. Um, what's been the best piece of advice you've received and from who? And what's been the absolute worst, most horrible piece of advice? So the best piece of advice, um, uh, I think um, the, uh, I think in terms of my grandfather always used to say, uh, things will turn out for the best if you let it. And often you can be in a bad situation and go, oh, I was forced into this or do this or whatever. But basically, you've got to look for the good in things and, and keep moving forward. And, and I think the other area um, for a business running point of view is he was always 
very uh, talking about cash flow and making sure that you're in a position that you can take risk, but you're never risking that you're going to be out of play or out of business. And if you can keep just um, uh, moving forward and never risking uh, risking it all or putting yourself in a position where you're forced to do something you don't want to do, you you can be very flexible and pivot all the time. And, and um, so we try and keep very uh, lean a, a, as a business and, and always um, trying to make sure that our, our revenue far exceeds our costs and we're growing that revenue all the time and, and then keep taking bets basically of, of how to really grow and, and, but never risking the farm. And, um, and that uh, I think has been really good advice. And uh, even though TomWaterhouse.com was a really great outcome for us the first time in selling to William Hill, uh, it, it, part of what we got wrong, we got many things right. So to grow a business from a, hundred customers or whatever to a quarter of a million customers in 18 months and and had that a massive growth um, we got a lot of things right but one of the things that I got wrong um, was it was really an all-in bet um, on tomwaterhouse.com and it and ended up being a very great very good outcome for, but it could have easily not been a great outcome you know you're reliant on getting a deal selling to William Hill or or getting another media deal it was it was um, and that forces you into a position of, of either being a seller or giving away better than better terms than you would otherwise want to. Yeah. Um, but never being in a position where uh, you, you always have that flexibility to take any direction is, uh, is very valuable. Yeah, totally. Love it, mate. Geez, you're really uh, sharing here. This is great. Everybody is going to love it. Um, so I want to hear from you. Um, what excites you, mate? Like, what, um, what about an opportunity that comes along really grabs you and stands out from the pack? Like, we talk to a lot of investors on this show about how a founder can grab their attention in an increasingly noisy and, and cluttered world. Um, so people are receiving decks. They're receiving really clever and uh, imaginative re uh, overtures. But what's something that really excites you about an opportunity or a, or a person or maybe one recently that has where you've gone, oh, wow, that's really clever? I think um, what I love it when uh, the founder or the group of founders have technical skill. So mm -hmm. they, they can build the product. It's not just their idea or their salesperson or they've got this contact. It's, no, we can actually build this product and... Uh, this product has got something unique about it. There's something that they're doing in the market that is solves an issue. Um, because I know with William Hill, we had our product pipeline was a couple of hundred different ideas that were all in the backlog. That we we never we were never stumped for ideas, and all of the two hundred or few hundred ideas all had revenue that they could make for the business mm -hmm. and a cost associated. And we had a couple of hundred developers here in, in the Philippines and they were all busy. And what the thing was is we wanted to do so much, but we had a pipeline. And, and so if you can go into these big organizations and say, well, look, we don't have to use your development team. You don't have to put money up front. We can just solve an issue for you. And mm. if it works, pay us. And if it doesn't, don't worry about it you're solving a massive issue for these big companies. And, and I love businesses like that, that take very little, they're not relying on the big companies to change their product pipeline and get 30 people to sign off on a decision. They just have 
something that's very easy to implement, solves an issue for them and becomes irreplaceable. And that's what I quite liked about Betmakers is that Betmakers solve an issue for the bookmakers. Now the bookmakers could maybe replicate Betmakers product, but everything that we were prioritizing on a product roadmap was revenue generating. If you're revenue generating as a product, you would always be prioritized over cost taking out. And betmakers or a product like that, you're taking cost out of the business. So you're making the business more profitable. But if William Hill was to do betmakers product, they probably couldn't even do it anywhere near as well. But let's say they were, they couldn't generate more revenue from it. They mm. could only just improve the cost of what they pay to betmakers. So I viewed that that product would never get prioritized in a couple of hundred purse, a couple of hundred product roadmap, it would never be prioritized to do. And so I think if a founder comes along and they're solving an issue for a gambling operator and it doesn't have to be in a backlog of product, that's very interesting. Um, mm. And if they have the technical skills to do it, um, I, yeah. uh, I love that. So position as a, as a painkiller rather than a vitamin and really, yeah. um, and focus, well, I mean, the funding's there. So that's a, that's a great point you make. And, a really cool way to catch the attention of um, someone who could potentially become not only a first customer, but also a first investor in your business. That's yeah, super correct. cool. So here's, here's the part of the show where we, we love to say to you, Tom Waterhouse, what is that one key thing happening in your um, universe right now that we can, as an audience and community, shine a light on and, and further check out? I think um, for us, we've just got our head down, focused on making good investments in this sector and the sector, the gambling sector is such an exciting space because you've got this um, amazing opportunity in the U S and uh, I think Australia is a roadmap of sort of how the U S will play out and it's of such scale and Australians have such a unique advantage in that they've really had 20 years head start on the U S from a technology standpoint, a product standpoint, a regulatory environment, and I think we're very well positioned, not only myself, but other people in the industry. You've seen the likes of how well betmakers have gone, PointsBet have gone. You've seen like the other operators that are here, like um, SportsBet are owned by Flutter and, and what they've done with FanDuel over there. You've seen, um, we're really leading the way in, in many respects of what's happening in the US. And I, and I think so to be focused on the industry at this time is really exciting. I'm just really focused on making, um, doing well for our um, investors over the next few years and and uh, just head down and, and try to find good opportunities in, in the space. Yeah. What is Tom Waterhouse uh, reading and listening to right now? Oh, I'm reading a, a very um, boring book at the moment on uh, <laughs> that someone gave me on the Rothschilds in the 1800s, which is... Look out, uh, look out. Which is, um, yeah, I, I sort of started a, it's maybe uh, might be 400 or 500 pages and I, I started i've got sort of 60 pages to go and i can't wait to finish it um, but uh yeah I, I i my wife bought me just unlimited books for christmas so i'm i'm trying to get through that that pile and uh and um yeah but it's, uh, are you a podcast guy do you like to consume audio content no i don't i i don't i i um i don't i um uh, I don't listen to, I've listened to a podcast before I, I listened to that Ray Dalio book on a, on a podcast, but that's the only one I have. And I, mm -hmm. I just um, find it so relaxing to, um, 
to be sitting there reading a book. And uh, even if I'm not, even if it's not my favorite book, I just go, I use the time to just to relax where I find when I'm on my device, um, I can't help but flick to when the next email comes through or the next alert comes through. And so I sort of get distracted um, a bit. uh, Yeah, but not to say it's obviously works really well for some people and and a great way to absorb information in in what is normally uh, downtime. So uh, I just, I, I myself just haven't got into it. Totally. Awesome. Well, um, we talk a lot about this on the show in Melbourne. We believe at Seed2 that there's about a $40 million gap in early stage funding in Melbourne alone that exists. And you of all people would probably know better than, than us that more, more than that is spent on the Melbourne Cup from one in sometimes over 20 chance every year than there is on early stage investments, which can be a much less than one in 20 chance. If I had to get you to really outline or summarise for our audience why they should take the plunge, write their first cheque and really get into the world of angel investing, what would that key statement or reason be? I think, um, I sort of think in terms of that, like diversified, diversified portfolio approach, I say to people, look, do you want to put 100% of your net wealth into the Waterhouse VC gambling fund? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. Like, I don't mind having a high proportion of my investment in, in that area because that's the area I know best. Mm-hmm. And I sort of think that for people, they should be putting their majority of their investment in the area that they know really well, uh, whether that's property or their own business or whatever. And, and then having a diversified portfolio after that is, is probably pretty good. So in terms of if you have it into, I don't know, some sort of large fund or in tech stocks or banking, so whatever the, the portfolio you want to have and have some money, whether it's uh, like, I don't know, in gold or in, and I guess in terms of if you go, well, look, I'm a risk uh, appetite holding, I don't know, the top 20 or 50 companies in, in the world and holding some gold or holding some cash or whatever, if you say, well, look, I don't see those areas as on my own house or a piece of property. I don't see those as ultra risky of putting a small portion of your investment into something more risky, um, but has a much bigger upside. I think that's quite interesting. Um, mm. You know, as you say, there's some huge success stories with the startups that Australia in Australia. And uh, I find for myself, I don't put a huge, um, amount of investment in outside of my core area of gambling. But as a family, we quite like to invest in a few different startups, not really to risk huge amounts of money or it's not a a significant portion of our overall investments, but it's just an interesting to hear what founders and and people are doing from technology space, what the latest tools they're using, what, how they're looking at business, how they're starting things up, what sort of skill sets they're looking for. And, and I, I think, for non-gambling areas, it's not necessarily the money that we've made in those space, but the improvements they've made to our other core businesses by the way that they've, um, they uh, are approaching the business and the startup is, has really helped our core business. So, um, great point. Yeah, I, I just guess it's, it depends on your risk profile. Um, that's excellent. No, that's, that's really, it's really great to hear an insight into the, the strategy around, why you diversify like that and uh, it makes a lot of sense we have a lot of investors who come on the show and talk about sticking to their lane but also investing in businesses where they can help make the sale and uh, it sounds like you've got a really good intuition for that 
and uh, especially when it comes to identifying talented founders. So this has been a pleasure. We're going to have to hold you somehow to get some more of your time and do a part two because we've just scratched the surface. Um, no, pleasure. Happy to do it. Well, Tom Waterhouse from Waterhouse VC and, and everyone on our show will recognise him from his other endeavours. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and can't wait to do it all again. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Speak soon. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.